The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Remember how James exhorts his listeners, his readers, when he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And he goes on to describe that the man, uh, that the man who hears the word but fails to do it is like the man that looks at himself in the mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like. You know, the purpose of a mirror is to correct our flaws, And if we don't do that, we haven't properly used the mirror. Well, the Word of God is like a mirror to correct us, to shape us, to guide us, to direct us. And Moses here exhorts his people to keep God's law, to to do it, to do the Word, to do the law as a witness of God's wisdom and understanding to the nations. So we are not to be hearers only but doers of God's word. And so he who has an ear to hear, let him listen to God's word. Deuteronomy 4. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them. In the land that you are entering to take possession of it, keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding and the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Whenever we call upon him, in what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? This is God's word. Let us pray. Father God, we would ask tonight that the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight and that you would help us to hide your word in our hearts and to be doers and followers of Christ. To the praise of your glory and grace we pray. Amen. You may recall the late 1980s Nike campaign slogan, Just Do It, that uh, attracted millions of loyal customers. This winning brand with uh, endorsements from Michael Jordan and other great superstars 
helped uh, catch the American and the, and the worldwide attention with this idea of just doing it. Even my senior high, my senior high school football team, one of our cheers was do it, oak, and just kind of this idea of, of pressing on and winning and competing. Well, do what is the question? Whether it's sports, competition, commerce, you know, we recognize that we live in a very action-packed society. Uh, it's busy. People are doing all kinds of things, busy, running around, doing things important and otherwise. But many people are doing all kinds of things with very little guidance or direction. God has blessed his people with guidance and direction to instruct us in all the ways that are necessary for this life and the life to come. The law of God, the statutes that he has revealed in his word, the commands, are are the standard of belief and the code of conduct for God's people. Everything necessary to please him and to enjoy the blessings that he intends for his people, to live well and to flourish in this life. The Apostle James also writes that The man that knows the good he ought to do, but doesn't do it, for him it is sin. And you are here tonight to hear God's word, and I exhort you to to listen, to hear it, and and to learn to apply it. Because we're held accountable for the things that we hear, that we would apply them. You and I are held to a high standard as God's witnesses, as his representatives on earth. So as we walk out of here tonight, we're, we're obligated to follow through on these things. And you know, our church is a church of rich teaching resources, the envy of many churches, with wonderful preachers and teachers and Bible instructors. But, because, but with knowledge comes great responsibility to put into practice the things that we know are good and right and pleasing to God. So how do we do God's word? Well, I have four points tonight. The first one is to listen and live. Listen and live by God's word. You notice the first command Moses gives in verse 1 is to listen. God gave us two ears and one mouth to give us a visual picture of our need to hear and to listen more than we speak. You know, teachers and coaches... Uh, are notorious for getting frustrated with students who fail to pay attention. Students are distracted, they daydream, and the real test for the teacher to see whether or not students are paying attention and listening is whether they fall through on instructions, whether they heed it and fall through on it. And notice Moses says, listen to what? Listen to statutes and rules. Wow. Sounds like a lot of fun. Just listen to statutes and rules sounds about as much fun as, as listening to someone read the tax code or, or, or read uh, the Little League Baseball Manual. You know how thick the rules for baseball are? I mean, they go on and on and on. Well, if it doesn't sound exciting, why should we listen? Why should we listen to this? Well, Moses says that you may live. Your life depends on it both this life and the life to come. Well, in this life, we see here that uh, 
that this promise that God has given to his people is very bound up with the land. Okay, it's a land promise that the people are going to go in and conquest and claim the promised land for themselves, that Joshua's going to lead them into conquest, into a land flowing with milk and honey, to, to claim cities that they did not build, to inhabit homes that they did not construct. But of course, the evil generation, the Exodus generation, were denied access to the land. They spent their lives first as slaves and then as uh, wandering vagabonds in the wildlands because they did not listen. They did not believe God at his word. They did not act in faith. And because they did not do God's word, they died and were buried in the desert. In contrast, this conquest generation is being exhorted to hear and follow the word that they might live. You see, the word promises life and offers blessing to those who follow it. And we know that the the consequences of not hearing and the consequences of sin are great. God's law is like guardrails that protect us from falling to our doom. It's like a fence or a cage to keep us from wandering off into our destruction. It's a guide to live in the manner which God intended us to live in dependent trust upon his wise counsel. And those who hear the word, but do not listen to the word, are vulnerable. Those who fail to listen to it, because the word protects us. It protects us from doing stupid with money, in marriage, in relationships, in parenting, in business, in all types of practical and nitty-gritty, we either obey it to our profit or ignore it to our loss. Well, of greater concern to Moses is that the, the word promises life for eternity. We are doomed without the word. Without God's word, we would have no knowledge of eternal life. You see, the promised land was only temporary, a temporary place for God's people to prepare them and us for the heavenly city. And God provided, provided all types of vivid actions up until this point to help communicate to his people what was at stake. Remember the death of the firstborn in Egypt. The blood of the lamb that was used to cover the door mantle of each Jewish family. The bronze serpent that Moses crafted in the wilderness and held up on a pole. All of these were intended to communicate that sin deserves death. To communicate that we have a holy God that requires punishment for our sin and unbelief and rebellion. But each one of those symbols is also a sign of God's mercy because they point to a substitute. That there is one who will take the punishment for us as a sacrifice. As he prepare the way for the coming Christ. Now, verse 3 here refers to the men of Israel who were seduced by the women of Moab, joining them in revelry, bowing down to their idols after Balaam, the false prophet, suggested such to the Moabites when he had failed to curse Israel. So Israel, to her shame and disgrace, brought plague upon the nation. And you and I deserve no better. We are identified with God's people in every age as we see the rebelliousness and idolatry, and we 
are humble to recognize that that is what we deserve as well. But notice the contrast from death to life from verse 3 to verse 4. Those who hold fast to the Lord, hold fast to the Lord will live. Those who hold fast to the Lord. The word, it means to cling. Like a man clinging to the mast of a ship in a storm-tossed sea. That, that, that there is a way of salvation. There is a way of hope to those who will cling to the only provision that God has made for his people. There is only one way of eternal life. And that's through faith in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not something that any mind of man could made up. It had to be revealed in his word. We could not discover it. We could not figure it out through science or historical analysis. It had to be revealed by God and his wisdom. And it gives life, hope, and peace to those who will listen and believe it. But it also promises despair and death to those who stop their ears, who refuse to listen, who will not face their sin, who fail to cleave to the only hope for this life and the life to come. Listen and live. Well, the second point is to let God's word be God's word. In verse 2, we have a math lesson where Moses says, do not add to or subtract from God's word. And that's a message we get all throughout Scripture. One of the signs of, of revelation, this is the authoritative word of God. And in contrast, you know, we know that human pride has a tendency to chart its own course, that we like to define our own truth on a whim. We live in an age that is all too eager to redefine the norms, to twist Scripture to justify sinful, selfish desires. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were guilty of adding to God's Word, requiring legalistic standards to establish piety so that that good, pious Jews could uh, be right in good standing with God in suppressing others who failed to meet their standards. The Judaizers in the early church required of the Gentiles to undergo circumcision, to eat and practice like Jews. Roman Catholicism has required sacraments and good works in addition to faith to provide any encouragement or assurance of salvation. Christians of all stripes throughout the ages have established various rules and duties and codes that go above and beyond the commands of Scripture to require people and and take away from them the assurance of salvation by faith alone. It's human nature to build fences. We we feel secure with them, but sometimes we build invisible fences in Christian community to try to rein in people's behavior rather than pointing people to Christ and his word alone for salvation. You know, the gospel plus anything, faith in Christ plus anything, is a tainted message of salvation. It's through faith in Christ alone, through which the believer will follow and trust in the living God. You know, the woman who is convinced that God has approved, her, approves of her divorce from an unhappy marriage to marry the man that she's in love with, is adding to God's word, is taking away from God's word, Those who are rationalizing and justifying their sinful practices are adding and taking away 
the explicit commands of Scripture. Those who presume upon God's favor when the Word offers no assurance are adding and taking away from God's Word. Well, not only the Pharisees, the Sadducees of Jesus' day subtracted from God's Word. They denied miracles, the existence of angels, and the hope of resurrection. They, they were the rationalistic materialist of their day who were consumed with money and power and prestige. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, also take away from God's Word by denying the full deity of Christ. That, that, word, for t- that word take means to diminish or restrain, to hem in, to try to bound God's Word, to limit it. It's, you know, the perfect historical picture is Thomas Jefferson cutting out the miracles of the Gospels to take away the things of God from his word. And doing such practice is arrogant. To rationalize one's sinful behavior. To, and, and why do people do that? Why do people add and take away God's word? And why do they even bother to use God's word? Well, it's to, res- to appear respectable. To, to gain favor. To twist scripture to justify themselves to offer the appearance of righteousness. And so we have to be wise as God's people to be guarded against those who add and take away from it. And we have to recognize that that there are many who will act condescendingly, smugly, even sanctimoniously towards those who uphold the word of God in humble obedience. You and I, at times, may endure mocking. Mocking by those who despise those who defend the word of God in its truth. You see, the text says that we are to keep the word. And that word keep means to watch, to preserve, to have charge of. Paul picks up on that theme when he, when he exhorts Timothy to guard the good deposit of the faith. We protect it. We preserve it. It's a holy calling, especially when the world conspires to redefine the word, adding to it and subtracting from it on its path to destruction. You know, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees as adders and subtractors of God's word. In fact, much of Jesus' teaching was intended to correct the false interpretations of the word of God in the Old Testament. And you and I need correction today as well. There are many people that I would call cafeteria Christians who kind of pick and choose what it is they want to believe about Orthodox Christian belief. And and they'll pick and choose according to what is not going to upset the apple cart too much of their assumptions and what preserves a comfortable lifestyle. Are you going to be a cafeteria Christian or are you going to respond to God's invitation to a feast? to come and consume the Word of God and to take everything that He offers you, even if it doesn't look that attractive at times. My children who are little, sometimes there are things we offer to them that they don't have a taste for yet. And we have to nurture that taste. And there are things in God's Word that new believers, even some of us who've walked with God for a while, we don't seem ready for yet, but we need to hear it. We need to learn to conform our appetites and our spiritual taste buds to receive God's Word because God's Word, it it shakes us up. It it stirs us. It it makes us uncomfortable because it it deals with us and our flaws and our sins. 
and our folly. Scripture is like a scalpel, where God does surgery on the weak and broken parts of our hearts. It's a mirror, as I've already mentioned, that reveals and exposes our flaws. One of the things I've learned about marriage is that marriage exposes your flaws. You're you're with somebody physically and emotionally exposed to to show the flaws on the outside and on the inside. You know, a spouse rubs against the rough spots of your character, critiquing your less exemplary habits. And that's what the Word does. The Word of God exposes and critiques our flaws. You know, and when you marry somebody, you take the good with the bad. Hopefully more good than bad, right? But, but you take this and you, you learn to adapt and conform and appreciate and respect. And, you know, the Word of God has good news and it has bad news. And we have to accept all of it. And if we are to please God, we must submit to His Word and let his truth correct our faulty thinking, attitudes, and behaviors. So may we not be avoiders of God's word, ignorers of God's word, neglectors of God's word. May we not be twisters or judgers of God's word. Not abusers or manipulators or mutilators of God's word. May we be doers of God's word to let God's word be God's word without adding to it or subtracting from it. Point three, may we learn the ways of God. Notice the teaching language that Moses uses in verse 1 and 5. And in the, in the Bible, the idea of teaching is not just lecture, is not just listening. It's putting into practice. It's more like training uh, of someone who's competing, preparing to compete in the arena. And, you know, imagine if you, if you read your... A student reads his biology book, reads the lessons, but fails the test. He has not appropriated the teaching. He's not learned the lesson. Or, or a student that has read the, the lab instructions, but then ruins the experiment, has not followed the instructions. We have to incorporate it into our thinking, into our practice. A little over a month ago, we had a a peacemaker training here at the church. Many of our staff took it, and a a few of our lay leaders took it as well. And one one of the things I appreciate about about peacemaker is they recognize this principle. They they make us read and watch videos in advance, but then when it comes time for the training, four days of training, there was teaching, but at least half the time was practice of getting into groups and role-playing and working through scenarios and situations of con- interpersonal conflict within the church and, and practicing. And uh, Robert Hayward and I were in the same group. We had fun uh, practicing and uh, challenging each other by taking on roles of difficult people in the church. But it was helpful to put into practice the teachings of, of humility and boldness and compassion and what the Bible has to say about reconciliation, confession, and forgiveness. You know, I'm convinced that, you know, for the, for the Christian who continues to persist in pride and anger and self-righteousness, self-pity, judgmentalism, defensiveness, lying or boasting is not learning the ways of God. We all struggle with these things, but if there's no recognition to 
put these things to death and submit them to the cross, we are not learning the ways of God. You know, one can know his or her theology well. But if he neglects his wife or ignores his children, disrespects his co-workers or offers little service to the church, he has failed to learn the ways of God. You see, the word has to change you. It has to transform you. It has to go down deep in you and begin to bring about new attitudes and new affections and new motives to actually move towards others in a loving manner. Our thinking, our attitudes, our behaviors, uh, better self-awareness, greater humility are all fruits of incorporating God's word, of learning the ways of God, of becoming more apologetic more eager to make things right, to show other people dignity and respect, to conform to the standards that please God and prove a blessing to others are signs that somebody is learning the ways of God. So how? How do we learn the ways of God? Well, for starters, to to be a learner, you need to be a reader. You need to be a listener. You need to be receiving God's word. But it's not enough just to hear it or read it. We need to study it. We need to incorporate it, but, but this should not just be done alone. And though individual Bible study is great, and you should do it, what you're doing here, being a part of the corporate worship of God, is coming to hear uh, the Word of God from those who have studied it and who have brought uh, a little more expertise to applying it. But not just hearing God's word, not just studying it, but meditating it and putting it into practice, of of actually making yourself accountable to other believers, is how we learn the ways of God. Imagine the, the Navy fighter pilot who merely goes to flight training school and reads the manual. He's not ready yet to fly a combat mission. He has to practice. He has to practice tirelessly, learning to master all the maneuvers, all the skills that are fitting a a combat pilot. The firefighter can't can't just learn about the fire truck and the fire hoses and how to wield an axe and how to break down a door and how to do CPR and how to pelt fires. He can't learn all that in theory and just having good intentions about what he might do in a real fire. He actually has to practice. He has to be be put in situations where he is mastering the skill and the expertise of a firefighter. Well, that's what you and I are. We are fighting fire all the time. The sin in our hearts, the sin in our relationships, the sin in our environments, and we need to be active in incorporating God's Word and be thinking about how do I learn to master some skills of trusting God in my trials, of dealing with difficult people, of loving people well, even when I don't feel like it, and and so forth. So it's not just a matter of theory, but real practice, engaging and putting to practice, learning the ways of God. Well, my fourth point. So after you consider all these things, we come to verse 6, and we see this bold vision, this new point uh, regarding the nations, where I call this, let your light shine. You see, We are not called to be doers of the word just for ourselves or just to feel good about ourselves and not even just to put on presentation before God. We're called to be doers of the word to let our light shine as a testimony to the nations. To my knowledge, there's no other religion in 
world history that was concerned about making great the name of their God to the nations. They had any interest of converting and evangelizing and proselytizing quite like the testimony given to the Israelite people. You know, most ancient religions, at least, were very self-centered and very nationalistic and not really concerned about those outside their uh, ethnic people group. Well, in verse 6, we have a summary of what Moses has been saying to keep and to do the statutes and rules of God, but for what purpose? In order to display the wisdom and understanding of God to the pagans. For some will hear and conclude what a great nation this is. That is filled with the very wisdom and the knowledge of God. Remember when Pharaoh first heard Joseph in Egypt. Pharaoh was awestruck. And he he recognized in Joseph the spirit of the gods. And because there is no man like you, I appoint you prime minister over Egypt. That's the idea. That's, That's the vision that uh, unbelievers will detect the real wisdom and power of God when a man or a woman of God speaks from the depths of God's Word. Now, sadly, there are many people that want nothing to do with God's Word. There are all kinds of scoffers and mockers who, who see God's Word in the Christian faith as restrictive, as oppressive, that it violates human dignity. There are lots of people who do not admire or see anything attractive in Christianity or the Christian people even the godliest of people. And sadly, sometimes believers turn people off by obnoxious and inconsistent behavior. And there are those mockers who are hardened, who are insistent that their ways are higher than God's ways, that their morality is superior to biblical morality, or condemning, as they accuse Bible believers to be. You know, there's just certain people we can't help. But there are people. There are many people. There are many people in whom the Spirit of God is working, who are tired, who are weary, who are hurting, who are failing to make life work, who are tired of ruining relationship after relationship, who are frustrated that they can't get their finances right, who are chasing idolatrous dreams, who are willing to consider a better way. And it's to such people that we are called to be a witness, to show them there is hope. There is guidance. There is real help. There is steadfast and proven truth that you can rely upon that does work in this life and prepares you for the life to come. That is the light and the witness we are called to be. And so there is such a people in whom the Spirit is working, whom we are called to labor and demonstrate the superior wisdom of God's Word as it applies to marriage and parenting, and finances, and resolving conflict, and how to choose leaders, and how to exercise discipline, how to do long-term planning, how to prepare for eternity. God's Word is immensely practical, and it's our duty to make it plain, to bring hope to those who are despairing, rest for the weary, life to those who are dying, and light to those who are in darkness. We have opportunities over the hill at Nitrower with Child Evangelism evangelism Fellowship. There's opportunities with a ministry called Bible to School that wants to teach Bible in in, 
uh, the third, fourth, and fifth graders. We have opportunities with Nitrire for anyone who would like to volunteer. I'd love to talk with you about how to provide viable instruction one hour a week throughout the school year. That's, at least for now, allowable by law handed down by the Supreme Court years ago. And it should be our mission and zeal to make God's Word known, to teach it to young people, to teach it to those who are teachable and vulnerable, who are eager, to show them that God's law is the pathway to freedom, enjoy, to live a life well-pleasing to God designed by the Creator for those who are struggling, those who are in marriage crisis, those who have suffered injustice, who need compassion, who need mercy, who are tired of a world and a, and a culture that does not provide help through government programs that are merely a handout rather than a hand up, that only create further dependencies rather than learning the dignity of work and labor and providing and giving through one's labor and service. You and I have an opportunity to be ambassadors for Christ as we live out and speak God's word to those in our community. And that there's a plethora of ways that we can do God's word. But let us not forget that fundamentally Christianity and being a Christian is not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done. That Christ is the true doer of the word. In fact, we really can't do the word because the word is Christ. He is the word of God incarnate, the one who has come to fulfill the will of God for all eternity. And you and I can only become true doers of the word once we have placed dependent and humble trust upon the living word, the one who did everything necessary to please the Father, that which we cannot do in our own strength. So what if you're weary and worn? What if you're tired? What if you're struggling? You've been trying to do God's word. Maybe, maybe you're str- struggling with what I call performance Christianity. Just do it. Christianity. Let me challenge your thinking that perhaps you need to understand what God means by this. That I think that that Jesus says it well in in John chapter 15. When we understand this concept of abiding with him, Jesus says to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. God's word is not a duty, a dry rote commandment that that, that leaves us weary and worn out and exhausted. Rather, it brings life. It gives hope. As we learn to die to self and abide with Christ, and trust in his promises and the power of his spirit. He even says that right here in Deuteronomy. Chapter 32, 47 says that the word of God is your life. Later on in chapter 8, verse 3, it says, we don't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. A passage Jesus used to defeat Satan in the wilderness. But the word of God gives life and hope to those who will believe and abide in Christ. I heard a story about a high school girl named Sammy 
who was a cross-country runner and a very good one, very competitive, and she was blind, completely blind. So how can she run cross-country? How can she run over hills and around corners without stumbling and falling, without bumping into uh, other runners? Because of Chloe, her seeing-eye dog who was trained to run with her and guide her up and down the valleys, up and down the hills, around corners and around bends. Sammy learned to be so close and trust Chloe that she would follow Chloe's every moves to the right and to the left to avoid an obstacle, to not bump into another runner, to, to avoid an obstacle coming up over the horizon. And after the race was over, Sammy would not tie up Chloe to a tree somewhere. She would take Chloe with her and join the other runners. And Chloe was part of the team. And they would laugh and enjoy and embrace. And and Sammy loved to talk about her dog, Chloe. What a beautiful picture of dependence, of trust, of following, of a girl obeying the directions of a dog. And how you and I are called to listen and to follow and respond to the commands of God as he leads us. To help us to avoid pitfalls. To make turns. To move in the direction that he is sending us. And that, that we are so close to him that we can't help but talk about him. As the love of our life. As the one who is with us with, with deep gratitude and joy for the life he has given to us through Christ. So as we conclude here and consider God's word, may it be your life. May it be your portion and your joy forever as we look to Christ, the living word, we praise and bless and glorify him to be doers of the word with all joy and gladness. Let us pray. We thank you, O God, our Father, for speaking to us in your word, for giving us guidance and instruction, for giving us more than just a manual and and guide map for life, but giving us the living word in Jesus Christ, the one who fulfilled every requirement of the law on our behalf, and the one who gives us grace and power and strength to be the kind of people, the light and the witness to the nations, the testimony to your grace and your power and the lives we live in faith and humble dependence and abiding in Christ. May you lead us as your witnesses, as your faithful followers, to bring glory to your name. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.